Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning, and you may be seated. Can we have the notes? We're going to try this this morning, and uh, a few of you would like to help on this side, and maybe a couple over here on this side. Guys, there can help. We are taking a short break from the book of Revelation. We finished with chapter 5. The next section is going to take a little while as we look at chapter 6 through 8. Um, and uh, Lord willing, um, my goal is to be able to start that by January, the first Sunday of January. And in the meantime, I was praying about what to be able to share. And I thought that it would be appropriate that we look at the Ten Commandments. And uh, so I hope and pray that the, that the messages that you are hearing in this series will encourage, encourage your hearts. And it will also give you a reminder of what God has saved us from. A life of trying to follow the commands that nobody could do apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it perfectly. But the purpose of the law really is to focus on God. And that's what we want to be able to do this morning, is to be able to focus on God. So with your places open to Exodus chapter 20, and again, if you do not have a Bible, there are pew Bibles there in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, uh, or prefer to have one holding it in your hands, you are welcome to take one of those Bibles with you and keep that as our gift to you. Our introduction into the law of God, we covered seven different points. Number one, the appearance of the law summed up the law as the two great commands that were given by Christ. And of course, those two commands are what? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is likened to it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no third command to love yourself. Now, that's what the world wants you to believe. That's what the world wants you to hear is love yourself first. And the the, the logical conclusion or the fallacy that comes from that is if you get to the point where you believe you have to love yourself, you will then swallow the line of the evil one that you then have to learn to forgive yourself before you can forgive others. You see, the problem is that we don't have the ability to forgive ourselves. There is only one who can forgive, and that is God. And because he forgives, he then gives us the ability to forgive the trespasses that others commit against us. There are even some, you're talking about this, Brother Al, you could take a look at this if you wanted to, but there are even some churches today, they are teaching some material, I'm not going to share the name of the material from the pulpit, but they believe, and these are some well-known individuals who believe that if you have learned to forgive yourself, you must then learn to forgive God. God has done nothing to be forgiven of. Only a sinner can be forgiven 
And God is not a sinner. He is perfect. So this was the appearance. Secondly, we looked at the access. What was the access of the law? What did it grant? It granted simply that all are guilty before God. We're all sinners. We talked about it this morning in the Sunday school class. And the question was asked, how many sins does it take to make you a sinner? And the answer is none. We're born sinners. That is the propensity. That is what is within our hearts and within our lives. We want to sin. And everything that we do, by the way, don't misunderstand. We are not saying that there are not some good things that you and I may try to do in our lives. Because everybody tries to do some kind of good. The question is whether that good that we are attempting to do is acceptable enough to God in order to take us to heaven. The answer is no. There is nothing that we can do that will make us acceptable before God. You can't keep the entire law. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, if you have broken just one part of the law, you have broken it all. So there has to be some kind of an answer that changes us and takes us from being a sinner to the other side of the equation. The law couldn't do it. Only Jesus Christ could when he came. This is why we have the privilege of being able to celebrate the Lord's table as often as we do. Not because we keep the law. If the only time that you could gain access to the Lord's table is when you could come and sign a pledge or a card to the church or to the pastor saying, I didn't commit any sins this week. None of us would ever be able to partake. None of us would ever come to church again. But the reason that we can is because when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he says, it is finished, that means that every sin that you could do was atoned for. That means that when you come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, he then gives you the privilege to become a child of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Everybody doesn't have God as their father. Only those who have placed their faith. You say, well, how do I know whether I'm one of his children? Have you ever confessed your sin? Have you ever called on him alone for your salvation? Have you come and pleaded to him for mercy? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, like the the publican did, who sat over in the corner of the temple, couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever done that? The Bible says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And 1 John then tells us that we can have this confidence that when we have placed our faith in him, he is the one that takes us. He is the one that consecrates us. He is the one that makes us holy. And he is the one, Philippians chapter 1, who says, or Paul says to the Philippian church, He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's the one that takes care of everything from start to finish. If we were to depend and look at ourselves and say, well, how much do I have to do? I would have to begin looking at other people. I'd have to begin saying, well, what about Brother Sam or Brother Jerry? How do I know that they haven't broken more laws than me? How, how, How do I know that I'm better than them? You see, our standard can't be ourself, Brother Diego. It can't be somebody else. The only standard is the perfect standard, Jesus Christ. We looked at the authority. Yes, the law is written on the heart of every man. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. 
every culture that has ever been found, anthropologists will tell you that they've got rules in place. And you know what's amazing is that every culture looks almost identical to what we have, our laws, based on the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if you go to a Stone Age existence, they will tell you that it is wrong to murder somebody. They will tell you that it is wrong to take somebody else's possessions or somebody else's spouse. Or they will tell you that it is wrong to covet or they will tell you that it is wrong to lie. They don't know why. We have the privilege of knowing the truth of God's word. We know why these things are true. The ability of the law is that it brings condemnation and separation from the holy and righteous God. We looked at the assurance that was found in Psalm chapter 19 that described the perfect law of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We looked at the adversary of the law. Who is the adversary? It is the evil one. He doesn't want you to try to obey the law. He doesn't want you to obey just the two commandments. If, if he could get rid of every command and thereby making you your own little God, you would be in great company with most of the world today. And then we found finally the acceptance of the law is what helps us to love what guides protection. Here's the question that we asked. Do you love God's word this morning? How much do you love God's word? Is God's word the guide? Is, is, it, is, it your, is it your light? You see, a lot of people, we hear the verses, for example, in Psalm 119, that the word of God is a light into our path, and we get this idea that we've got some great big, I've seen Brother, Brother Frank's got this, this flashlight, he's got everything. But he's, he's got this flashlight, and you can turn on, you can probably see from here to Denver with that flashlight, okay? Now, that's not what the, David is talking about here in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, when he says that the word of God is a lamp, the picture is of somebody in the Old Testament period, they would take a little lamp that had a candle, and they would tie it around, or they would strap it to their ankle. And as they're walking at night, it could, be a, it could be a soldier, it could be a shepherd. And as they walk, how much do you think they're lighting it at a time? One, one step. One step. God doesn't promise you. Again, we were talking about the end times and eschatology. There are a lot of people who are scared to death about eschatology. Eschatology is not something to worry about. It's, not to be, it's something to be afraid of, especially for a believer. But God is not going to promise you that you're going to know the end times if you're not willing to walk with him one step at a time. That's what he wants from you. That's what he demands from you. One step at a time. Again, Exodus 20 is for the purpose of focusing on God. And we certainly don't need a chapter to tell us how bad we are. I mean, can you imagine the Old Testament or the New Testament believers? They've got 39 books now and they're reading through this. Every book, every time you turn around, the children of Israel, I mean, they were just a fine, upstanding group of people. I mean, they just hardly ever did anything wrong. I mean, they were just the perfect tribe. No, they weren't. I mean, you can't get past the book of Genesis. You can't barely get outside the Garden of Eden and you find Cain killing his own brother. You find Adam and Eve who are in the garden, who are in perfection, in the beauty of everything that God has created and them standing up, shaking their fist at God and saying, I will do it my way. 
And thus the entire human race fell into sin. That's where we're at today. The world is not going to get any better. The world is going to continue to get worse. The New Testament prophets tell us that, that it's going to continue to get worse until the Lord Jesus Christ returns and he sets up his kingdom. Our depravity is evident. And even after salvation, there are times that your flesh and mind, it can choose to revolt. If you don't believe me, see me afterwards. I've got a hammer. You can hit the wrong nail and we'll find out how sanctified you are. (laughs) Seriously. Because there are still the remnants of what we have to deal with within our heart, within our flesh, within our body that we're going to deal with, as Paul said, until we stand before the Lord glorified and perfect. Do you remember what Paul said? This gives me great hope because he said the bad things that I'm not supposed to be doing, that's what I do. The good things that I'm supposed to be doing, I don't do those. And you know what he says? Who shall deliver me? from this body. But thanks be unto God. And then he continues in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Because of this, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I I want to share something. There were some questions that were asked me this last week. And even today. And I'm not going to tell you what the questions were, but they were wondering what God does for us. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, he died, as it were, Ephesians chapter 1, as a lamb that was slain from before the foundations of the world. So I want you to just bear with me for a moment. How many of you, I know there's some older folks here, a little bit older than me, how many of you were actually here on the earth when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago? (laughs) Nobody, right? Okay. Uh, Anybody here, like God asked Job, In the book of Job, he says to him, he says, where were you when I created, when I laid the foundations of the world and the morning stars sang together? Anybody here back then? No. So when Jesus died on the cross and he is bearing our sins and he says it is finished, here's the real question. How much of your sin was covered? Say it again, real loud. All of it. Not some of it. Why would you want to trust in a God who couldn't forgive you of all your sin? What part of your sin would you wonder whether it's going to send you to hell or not? When he said it is finished, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This again is why we have the Lord's table. It is a reminder that we are not perfect. It is a reminder that only Jesus is perfect. It is a reminder that when he came, he shed his blood and he gave his body so that we might have eternal life. And when we stand before him, we stand complete. When God the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus in us. He makes you and I a brand new creation. All the old things have passed away. Do we still sin? Of course we do. The difference is there's not one sin that you and I can commit if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ that will condemn us and will stand before God wringing our hands at the judgment seat wondering am I going to hell or am I going to heaven? Not one. You have been forgiven completely. 
if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Now there are times though that because of the law that it will result in discipline if the correction from God's word and the Holy Spirit don't bring changes to our heart and life. We understand that. that. That's one of the reasons why we share with you that it is our responsibility to be able to examine our hearts. Is there something in our hearts first and foremost that keeps us or that has broken our fellowship with God? Let me give you an example. My two sons sitting in the back. For those of you who are brand new, that's my two boys. Wave your hands. There we go. Okay. Is there anything that my two sons could ever do? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think in your mind. Is there anything my two sons could ever do that would somehow change the fact that I am their earthly father? Nothing can change that. They didn't bring anything into the relationship when they were born, just like that precious little baby back there. I understand the ladies had a wonderful time. I didn't get any brownies out of it, but I understand they had a good time. But when we come into the world, we don't bring anything. And this is what happens in our relationship with God. We don't bring anything to the table. He brings it all. Salvation is all of God and none of man. And the changes that come, they come and there's that relationship when, when they have done things, when my boys did things growing up or my girls did things or I did things when I was younger growing up and I disappointed my mom and dad. It didn't change the fact that they were my parents. It did, did, did what actually changed? I've used this example before, but there are times when some of the scariest, ooh, scariest words in the world, wait till your dad comes home. <laughs> And I heard it a lot. When my dad came home, man, I had tried to wash the dishes. I was nice to my sister. I had made my bed. Man, I did everything I could to possibly make sure that dad was in a good mood. And I was hoping that mom would forget whatever transgression had happened earlier in the day. But my dad was still my dad. My dad still wanted to have a relationship with me. He was still willing to talk with me even though I had caused an offense within the house. The problem was me. I was the one that had broken the fellowship. And there are times when you and I are that way that we break fellowship with God. God doesn't change his position. God is still on the throne. God is still sovereign. He has always been sovereign. He is Lord. He hasn't abdicated his throne to anybody. If we focus on God, we will understand 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's not contradicting James here. He's pointing out what the Jews failed to realize. They could never be good enough or obey the commands in order to know the glory of God. James says the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that the believer shows his faith by the works that he does. The law must be obeyed so that it brings the glory that God demands from those who trust in him. If we say that we're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should delight in the word of God. 
We should have a longing in our hearts not just to get up and, and, and maybe once a week have a little time where we read a single verse. It may be that that one single verse is what God needs to use to get your attention or mine. But it shouldn't stop there. Okay, I'm going to ask you to be honest about something. How many of you, when you were courting your future spouse, as was, how many of you used to write letters to each other? Yeah, it's, 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 it's paper, you write with a pen. Yeah, okay. My, my wife wrote a lot more to me than I did to her. Now, my dad used to have this little interesting thing when we were courting. A letter would arrive in the mail, and, and I would know when a letter had arrived because my dad would give me a hard time about the letter. He would take the letter and he'd go... <laughs> he said, do you know what... Vi, 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 oh, vi. Well, there's a letter here for somebody... Now, what do you think my wife would think if I opened that letter and the first thing that I wrote was, or I read was, Dear Mark, and then I folded the letter, put it back in the envelope? Do you think that I would build much of a relationship? God wrote a perfect book, 66 books of love written for you and me. And if we get to heaven, I would be embarrassed if we get to heaven only to find somebody come up and say, you know, hey, do you happen to read my book? Hey, did you write a book? Yeah, what's your name, by the way? Uh, Haggai. Haggai? Yes. Read God's word. It's there for your, for your growth, for, for you to see how much God loves you. For you to see how much God has prepared your life because it is not by accident that you're here this morning. If we fail to obey the law, we are falling short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thus, a person who sins rightly is under the wrath of God and deserves his just reward of death. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. In the verse 1, chapter 20, and God spoke. We could stop right there. God spoke. Do you believe that God spoke? What was the statistic? Do you remember it off the top of your head, Brother Al? How many people don't believe that the Bible is the true word of God in evangelical churches? 26%. How many? 26%. 26%. That's one out of every four people in the average evangelical church that does not believe that what God says is true. And we wonder why our lives are falling apart. Do we wonder why we struggle? Do you wonder maybe why you struggle if you and I don't spend time in his word, learning to love him? Everything you need to know, everything you need to know about God is right here. Everything you need to know how to handle life is right here. There's not some secret formula. I was kidding somebody this morning. They were talking, we were talking about church membership. And I said, well, you got to learn to stand on your left foot and give the seat. No. That's not what church membership is. Church membership is having a commitment and showing that to the church. Showing it to our brothers and sisters that we love one another. Our sovereign God cares for us in many ways. He does this through the regulation, the law of God, the giving of the law and the illumination that he gives us is when the Holy Spirit creates a new 
spirit within us and we understand the light of God's word. Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, how? According to thy word. It is not to bring us harm. It is to keep us from harm. His word illuminates our daily walk and shows us why God is so far above us. And yet, unlike in the Old Testament, do you realize that our God, the God that we see and understand in the New Testament, is approachable? The difference between the Old Testament is they didn't have the same privileges that you and I do in the New Testament. We can now walk boldly into the throne of grace and call him Abba, Father. The law brings things into clear perspective. The law was not given so the children of Israel again could see what they needed to do in order to gain holiness or to gain a good relationship with God. And there's nothing you and I can do. You can't keep one aspect of the law in order to find that relationship with God. In the context of the law, my prayer has been as I have prepared this is that you and I would be able to go from here having a desire to be like the man, the blessed man in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners, and who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. The more time you spend in God's word, the more you're going to grow. We don't need to remain like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. You know, there are, we, we, we had a saying, and maybe you've heard it, and anybody here ever been in management? I know several of you have any kind of management, supervisory position. Uh, there's, there's a saying in the supervisory world, certainly in the circles that I was in, uh, that, that, that there are some people who have 20 years of experience, and there are some people who have one year of experience 20 times. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. If you've been in that position, don't be that kind of Christian. Don't be that kind of Christian who struggles just to be able to swallow the milk of the word when there is so much meat to be found. How do we understand God's word? How do we get to the meat? We spend time with one another. We spend time reading. We spend time loving one another. We spend time having fellowship. We spend time having fellowship, not just with one another about the things of life, having a ladies meeting or, or having a baby shower. I'm thankful, by the way, for all of you ladies who reached out with that kind of love for somebody who's not even a member yet. That says a lot about Yellowstone Baptist Church. Things like that are a foretaste of what glory is going to be like when we are all together as one family people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Let me give you just a brief reminder, and we're not going to get through all of this today, but here's the reminder. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. They've recently been rescued from Egypt. They've lived there for 430 years as slaves. 
The Egyptian armies had been routed while the Hebrews had spoiled the riches of Egypt. And you know what's sad is that wasn't enough for them, was it? I mean, they, they, they hadn't even gotten outside of the borders of Egypt and they're already complaining, oh man, all the leeks and the onions we had back there in Egypt, it was so wonderful. Their troubles have been compounded when Pharaoh tried to kill all the male babies to exterminate the Hebrew nation. But God had preserved them by the hand of a faithful couple who brought Moses into the world. And of course, you know the account where Moses is put in the little basket and he's sent down the river and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and he actually gets raised in the palace. And then 40 years after being 40 years in the palace, he goes out and he tries to take matters into his own hands and he ends up killing an Egyptian. What does he do? He has to flee for his life. 40 years on the backside of the desert. Out in the wilderness, he's tending sheep. And then one day he sees a bush that is on fire. And God says, take your sandals off for you are on holy ground. Life changed for Moses. Life was about to change for the children of Israel, but God did it in his timing, in his way. And then we come to the Redeemer. God spoke all these things saying, I am the Lord your God. There are many YouTube channels or Vimeo or whatever your preferred social media platform is that you like watching. There are all kinds of videos that you can go on and you can find conservatives versus people who are on the liberal side and they're talking debate, talking points back and forth. But I think some of the saddest videos that I ever have seen are those who actually, you actually mentioned it this morning, who believe that there are no absolute truths. You see, if you don't believe there are any absolute truths, you can't believe in God or you don't believe in God. And for those who think that we are simply, we have simply grown up out of the primordial ooze and, and two cells rubbing together and eventually imploding and exploding and then everything that you see around here, which clearly points as an evidence of a creator. But for you to believe that it's all just happenstance and whether you're here or not doesn't make any difference whatsoever. My friend, you have been deluded by the evil one if you believe that. You are here for a purpose. Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, David is saying to God. And that my soul knows right well. So this is the question we ask you this morning. Is your soul right this morning? Do you understand the marvelous works of God? Do you understand what he has done for you? Do you understand? You can look in the mirror this morning. Maybe you see more gray hairs. Maybe you look back with regret over all the things you didn't do or you could have done or whatever it is, fill in the blank. And every one of us has to come the same way. We have to come to the foot of the cross and say, God, whatever is in my past, I have to give it to you. I have to trust that you do all things well. Because as Job said in Job chapter 23, when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. You see, this isn't a matter of whether I'm better than you, you're better than me, or because I'm a preacher and you're not. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. I wasn't saved any differently than you were.
under the Redeemer, we find firstly the identification of his person. And here's how he says, I am the Lord. I'm the one that's in control. I am sovereign. I am God, and you are not. I believe it was one of the French philosophers who said, God made man in his own image, and now we've been trying to return the favor. You're never going to make God in your image. I can't do that. God is the one who is unchangeable from everlasting to everlasting, he says in Isaiah. I am God. Hosea chapter 13, that's another one of those guys that are going to come up and talk to you. Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. Yet I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. If, if, if you and I, whatever it is that's taking place, for example, where's, where's Brother Doug? There he is, Brother Doug. Brother Doug has an ability that I certainly don't. He knows how to fix things. There's probably not too many things he can't fix. So let's assume for a moment that I go over to his house and I take my car over there and I say, hey, you know, there's some things going on, going wrong with the car and the engine's making a loud noise and, you know, it's going... Rah, 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 rah. But I think I just need to change my tires. <laughs> Doug's probably going to go... Let me get back with you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> And so he gets back with me and my engine's not making the noise anymore. And we come to church and he drives up in the car and everybody sees it. And I say, Brother Carl, I appreciate you fixing my engine. It sounds like I got some new tires. You think Brother Doug would be happy? Seriously. Would Brother Doug be happy my giving credit to somebody else who didn't do the work? Now, there are things that Brother Carl can do. There are things that Brother Diego can do. There are things that maybe you can do that I can't do and vice versa. I can't give life. But my God can. And not only does he give you physical life, but he grants spiritual life to those who will come and drink of the water of life freely. The word here that is used in Exodus chapter 20, the word used is Jehovah, and it means the one who is self-existent, the eternal one. Listen, there is nothing that you and I bring to the table that God needs to make him more God. He's God without us. He's God without this world. If it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who still existed with nothing, no, nothing else taking place. No world, no sun, no angels, no demons, no hell, nothing whatsoever. God would still be God. That's why you can trust him. Unlike the gods of Egypt, Jehovah had need of nobody and of nothing in order to bring honor and glory to himself. I mean, th think about what he did in Egypt alone. I mean, he, he, he creates the, the stick that, that Aaron's rod buds and, and he throws it down and it becomes a snake. Well, before it ever became a snake, it was a stick that he created. And yet the power wasn't in Aaron. The, the power wasn't in the rod. It wasn't, it, it, he didn't look at that and think, well, you know, there sure is an awful lot of potential in that stick. 
No. He simply used it to bring honor and glory to himself. Even at the last plague, when the Egyptians wake up in the middle of the night and the screams start piercing the darkness because every home has just lost their firstborn, God was still glorified. He was still God. He was still right. He was still just. He was still loving. And if you question that, the, my problem is that I would have with you is this. Why aren't you asking God why he didn't kill all of them? You know, some of the same Egyptians that had just lost their firstborn may very well have been some of the Egyptians that walk out with the children of Israel towards the promised land. I've shared this before, September the 11th. Almost 3,000 people passed off into eternity. Our question shouldn't be, God, how dare you? Why would you kill off 3,000 people in one day? The question should be, Lord, there's 1.2 million people that go out into eternity around the world every single week. God, why did only 3,000 die? By the calling of his name, God clears up any possible misunderstanding that he was a creation like them. God doesn't need our attention, but he accepts it. As one commentator noted, the, the creator does not need the creation in order to exist. He confirms he is not a mere object of worship of wood or stone, and he reminds them by telling them, I am that I am. I want to conclude by sharing just briefly about the immutability of his person. Immutability is a long, fancy word, and it simply means unchangeable. I am thy God. He sets himself above the mere gods of Egypt. There would have been no doubt that he is sovereign. He is in control of all things. In fact, that the people of Egypt, they come to the Pharaoh and they say, you're going to have to let these people go or, or their God's just going to kill us all. There could be no question as they watch the vast waters relinquish their hold on the bloated bodies of the Egyptian army. His protection was unchanging. If you have any questions about who God is, I would challenge you to do something. Go home. Look in the mirror. And try to take a breath on your own. God is that gracious that he gives you another breath. Every day. I just stated it a few minutes ago. 1.2 million people around the world are going to die and go out into eternity this week. The question is. Are you and I going to be one of those? If we are one of those, then my prayer is that you actually can stand before God complete in Jesus Christ or you're going to stand before him and he's going to be your judge. And it'll be too late to change anything then. This is why we come to the table of the Lord. This is why we are reminded 
in the body, in the blood. That these things were done for us so that we might have a relationship. That relationship that was broken between Adam and Eve in the garden has now been restored through Jesus Christ and whosoever will may come. Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, not maybe, not might, shall be. So as we have done before, I want to encourage you. I want to tell you just briefly about the table of the Lord. Again, these elements are not here for it's not a snack. There's nothing that bestows grace by taking these. But in a moment, we are going to have you pray in your own hearts. And I want you to search your heart to see if there is something that stands between a relationship between you and your Heavenly Father. And if there is, that you'll make it right. And then you will partake with us today with joy, knowing that He has saved you. Maybe you have something between you and another brother or sister. Ask God for forgiveness. Help Him to restore those fellowships or that fellowship that you and I need to have with one another. Again, there's no perfect people, but there is a perfect Savior. There is a perfect Redeemer, and that's what we're inviting you to today. When we partake of this, just like baptism, we're going to be having another baptism here, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Amen? That's wonderful. Yep. But you know what that baptism is for? That baptism is for the purpose of displaying to the world and to the church that you are committing your life to Jesus Christ. The table of the Lord is to show other brothers and sisters that you believe your heart is right before God. That's why we partake. So I invite you to do that this morning. Spend a few minutes with God as we prepare for the table this morning.